Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte clear liners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you could pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. And welcome, everybody, to the Pod's Honest Truth with David Brody. Hope all is well. It's a Monday podcast. I know you could be listening to this on a Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. I get it. But I'm recording this on a Monday. So let me just say, over the weekend, <coughs> look, I'm 55. I played some tennis against my middle son, who happens to be 26, if I'm not mistaken. I'll have to do the math. We played some tennis. And let me just say, I gave it my all, folks. I did. I gave it. Look. Uh, what is it, 26, 55, do the math, 30, 40, he, he, 29 years, he's got 29 years on me. I lost 6-4 in the only set we played because I was pretty much in traction after that. I mean, I was literally knocked out. I had nothing left, uh, no more gas in the tank, if you will. But hey, I gave it a shot, only lost 6-4, and uh I was doing well there until uh, just age gave out, but that's okay. Um, I've got another 20 pounds or so to go. And then watch out, Mr. 28-year-old middle son. Uh, I'm coming for you. Hey, on the podcast today, Donald Trump, Joe Biden, and the evangelical vote. Specifically, I want to get into Joe Biden and the evangelical vote. And you go, wait a minute, David. I thought it's Donald Trump and the evangelical vote. And yes, it's true. Donald Trump won 81% of white conservative evangelicals in 2016, and that propelled him to the White House. There's no doubt about that. Uh, Here's the thing, though. Joe Biden has a real opportunity here to cut off a percentage point, maybe two, possibly three, from that 81% figure. You say, huh, give me a break, not going to happen. Well, let me lay it out for you and let me explain a little bit about how I see this going down. All right, so we start with that 81% figure from Donald Trump. That's what he won from white conservative evangelicals. If you go back to 2008 and Barack Obama, when he won the White House, ready for this figure? He won 26% of white conservative evangelicals, 26%. That's actually quite a bit, uh, considering this is the Donald Trump base, if you will. 26% of white conservative evangelicals voted for Barack Obama in 2008. Fast forward to 2012, that number 21%, down from 26%, but still pretty healthy, 21%. Then Hillary Clinton comes along in 2016, and that number plummets to 16%. That's right. So think about it, right? You've got 26% Barack Obama, 2008. Hillary Clinton, 2016, eight years later, has 16%. That's a drop overall of 10% among the white conservative evangelical group. Barack Obama interviewed with me four times in 2008. 
Uh, he understood, uh, at least from uh, the perspective of interviewing with me here at CBN, he understood the audience. He knew that the CBN uh, 700 Club audience was 25% African-American. That's double the national average. He understood that there were a lot of moderate Democrats, uh, those blue-collar Democrats we talk about in the 700 Club audience. Uh, and indeed, uh, he decided to play ball with CBN and interview with me for the 700 Club. And it paid dividends. Look, there are a lot of other factors to it, but the truth of the matter is he made faith and talking about faith something uh, that was important to him. And I know Jeremiah Wright and all of that stuff. Look, I, I get all of that. But the truth is, is that Obama engaged and talked to white evangelicals. It helped him in 2008. Now, Hillary Clinton, on the other hand, didn't do any of that. She ran away from her Methodist faith, and she had a faith story to tell. She had some things that she, you know, she was in Bible study with conservative leaders like James Langford and others. I mean, she could have gone there if she wanted to. She decided to play it close to the vest, decided to not, uh, you know, do anything of the sort, and it cost her. And why do we know it cost her? Well, not only the 16% of white evangelicals, but if you get down right to it, uh, in Pennsylvania, uh, in Wisconsin, in North Carolina, in Florida, um, a percentage point or two in those states could have made a huge difference and indeed turned the electoral math in her favor rather than Donald Trump's favor. But she just wouldn't talk about her faith. It hurt her not just with evangelicals, but also with white conservative Catholics as well, who may have potentially voted for her. Once again, I'm not saying she would have gotten the lion's share of white conservative evangelical votes. She wouldn't have. But she only had 16%. Imagine what she would have had if she had 18 19%. Well, here we are in 2020, and along comes Joe Biden. Joe Biden is in the same exact spot as Hillary Clinton. Will he make the same exact error as Hillary Clinton and not talk about his faith, and this idea of compassion and social justice. And I'm not suggesting that white conservative evangelicals are going to go for all the social justice mumbo gumbo. And that, and uh, mumbo gumbo, did I say gumbo? Where am I, New Orleans? Uh, mumbo jumbo. Uh, but still, with Donald Trump and the fact that he's on Twitter and he's out of control there and compassion isn't quite his thing when it comes to not just Twitter, but the way he speaks, right? He's the law and order president. You have a potential to pick off a percentage or two from that white conservative evangelical vote, which knocks Trump potentially down from 81% nationally to maybe 80%, 79%. The bottom line is we know that elections are won at the margins, and that's how you have to play it if you're Joe Biden. So it would make sense for him to engage with white conservative evangelicals. Now, look, he's not going to necessarily pander or change any of his views, but you got to understand that if you look at the latest Pew research uh, out there, it shows that out of the white conservative evangelicals overall, 24% of those white conservative evangelicals actually do not agree with Donald Trump on most of the issues. Those are probably a lot of the ones that didn't vote for him. But think about it, right? Trump had 81% of the white conservative evangelical vote. Well, I just, that, if you look at 81% and you subtract that from 100%, that's 19% of evangelicals that pretty much didn't vote for him, if you will, uh, the ones that showed up. But that figure I just gave you from Pew is 24% that don't agree with Trump on many of the issues. Well, 19%, 24%, that's a 5% difference in between there. 
And that's exactly what I'm talking about. That is the sweet spot for Joe Biden. Can he pick off anywhere from one to 5% of white conservative evangelicals? It would make a difference in North Carolina, Wisconsin, Pennsylvania, uh, many other states actually, Florida, I can go on and on, um, Iowa potentially. The point is, is that this is what Joe Biden must do if he's going to win the 2020 general election, because we know that not just elections are won at the margins, but we also know it's about motivating your base to show up. And I can guarantee you that Trump's evangelical base is going to be motivated. But Joe Biden, if he can cut in by a percentage point or two, uh, that's going to blunt some of that um, momentum, not to mention the fact that there's so much anti-vitriol on the left for this president, that could do the trick for Joe Biden in 2020. So there are some uh, empirical data for you, some an analysis to go with it as to why it's important for Joe Biden uh, to take a page out of the Obama playbook and look what it did for him in 2008 and 2012 and do not follow the Hillary Clinton playbook in 2016, which ended up being disastrous from a faith perspective. All right. When we come back on the podcast, we're going to bring in Dr. Albert Moeller. Uh, Dr. Moeller did not vote for Donald Trump in 2016. He, he is going to vote for him this time around in 2020. He's a major theologian, one of the most influential evangelical voices in the country. He explains why he is changing his tune this time around. We're back next on The Pod's Honest Truth. The comfort of your favorite seat is now your comfy car-selling command center, thanks to Carvana. It doesn't get any better than this. Your favorite seat's the best spot in the house. Make it even better by entering your license plate or VIN and getting a real offer in minutes. There really is no place like home. And speaking of home, Carvana will pick up your car from yours after you finalize your offer. Visit Carvana.com or download the app and sell your car from your comfy place. And welcome back, everybody, to The Pod's Honest Truth with David Brody. Time now for our conversation with Dr. Albert Moeller. He's a theologian. Even more significantly than that, he's the ninth president of the Southern Baptist Theological Seminary in Louisville, Kentucky. It's the oldest of the six seminaries that are affiliated with the Southern Baptist Convention. And he has been described as one of the one of America's most influential evangelicals. Now, the important context here is that in 2016, when Donald Trump was running for president, he did not support Donald Trump. As a matter of fact, in an article for the Washington Post, he called Trump the great evangelical embarrassment. That's Mueller in 2016. However, in 2020, Dr. Mueller uh, singing a different tune and actually deciding to support Donald Trump this time around, that's what we talk about with him. As a matter of fact, he's been criticized, as you might imagine, quite a bit by the anti-Trump evangelical crowd. Uh, as a matter of fact, some articles written about uh, Mueller, one of them called The Moral Hypocrisy of Albert Mueller. So we will discuss that right now with Dr. Mueller on The Pod's Honest Truth. Dr. Mueller, let me start with this. Um, well, I don't even know where, where to begin, but but why don't we start with Donald Trump? I'm sure he would like it that way, I have a feeling. Uh, you know, g- give me a sense of where you were in 2016. We know about that, uh, but now you're in 2020, and there seemed to be a, a change a little bit in where you're, in terms of your support for Donald Trump. Can you explain a little bit of how that, how that morphed? 
you know, I, uh, I came politically of age in the 1970s and, uh, in, uh, and as a conservative and uh, a, a, a very uh, intellectually engaged uh, conservative teenager. And uh, I worked in the Reagan campaign in 1976 uh, when he ran against uh, the incumbent president, Gerald Ford, for the Republican nomination. It was a campaign of ideas. I was invigorated by those ideas. Mm -hmm. uh, they were consistent with my understanding of the Christian worldview. And uh, through, uh, through Reagan and uh, people like William F. Buckley Jr., uh, I really came to uh, embrace the uh, traditional conservative understanding of politics and the political order. Mm -hmm. And uh, heroes like Edmund Burke and, uh, and others. So for most of my political life, it's just been a very easy uh, uh, question coming to a national election. Mm -hmm. I've never voted for a Democrat once. Um, just uh, by the time uh, I could cast my first vote in 1980 uh, as an American citizen, the issue's already clear. The two parties were already in a very different uh, position on so many issues. And since then, the divergence has only grown wider. Yeah. Uh, in 2016, uh, my hope was for a traditional conservative candidate who could uh, defeat Hillary Clinton and, uh, and be elected president of the United States. The, uh, the primary process in the Republican Party in 2016 meant that there wasn't a traditional conservative nominee. Rather, it was Donald Trump who right. uh, represented disruption. And uh, a, uh, he was definitely uh, running on many conservative positions, but he had not been known for any kind of consistent conservative political philosophy. And, uh, and, and, and uh, uh, as a conservative, uh, I'm committed to uh, conservative habits, habits of mind and habits of life, uh, kind of a conservative personality, you might say, mm. as uh, being uh, necessary long-term for the survival of conservative principles. Donald Trump is in many ways the repudiation of that. Mm. And in 2016, uh, just given as a Christian, given what he had represented in his personal life, his morality, which it, he documented himself in his books, and right. of course, uh, controversies. And uh, I, I, I did not feel that I could vote for it. I was very reluctant not to vote for it because I wanted to vote for the Republican candidate, not because I sold my soul to a party, but because by now those two parties represent very predictable and extremely divergent points of view. Mm -hmm. um, but uh, I didn't. It was difficult, but I, I didn't. I, uh, I certainly didn't vote for Hillary Clinton, uh, but uh, I, uh, I, I, I made another choice and it had no electoral consequence. Uh, <laughs> okay. Living in Kentucky, Donald Trump won by a double digit you know, margin. And, uh, but on election night, I was very, very pleased that Hillary Clinton was not going to be president of the United States. Mm -hmm. I didn't know, honestly, what it might mean for Donald Trump to be president of the United States. I, I didn't, I really didn't know, based upon the campaign and who he had been, uh, what he would do as president. Well, what he has done, um, and by the way, I continue to be quite uh, uh, frustrated by uh, the mm -hmm. president's personality, his comments, his, uh, uh, his, his language at times, uh, the way he speaks of people, all, all these things uh, uh, frustrate me. But in a long-term conservative view, he has implemented policies and, uh, and made appointments that are going to have a long-term conservative difference in this country, the alternative to which is simply horrifying. Uh, not only is the alternative the Democratic Party, 
of, uh, of the last several decades, but the Democratic Party swerving to the left uh, in the year 2020. So I see the election in 2020 is fundamentally different than uh, 2016. Back then and now, I call for Christians to respect one another, where we make different electoral decisions, so long as we're committed to the same moral principles. Mm -hmm. But uh, I, uh, I just said in answer to a question, I'll be voting for Donald Trump. The difference is the context in 2020 is different. And I found out that President Trump meant what he said about his appointments. And his appointments have been not only good, they have been stellar. And uh, I think as a conservative, uh, the judiciary looms so large in American public life that uh, that's, uh, that's a definitional issue for me. Uh, Dr. Mueller, what sort of pushback have you received? Obviously, I've seen a few, <laughs> I've seen a few editorials, but beyond yeah. the editorials, <laughs> what sort of feedback have you received, pushback? Yeah, uh, there is a considerable undercurrent in uh, American public life that argues that you can only admit in public that you voted for Donald Trump if you've sold your soul. Hmm. And I think that's a very toxic attitude. And uh, it is, uh, it's one that uh, I, I think is neither conservative nor Christian nor right. And uh, I intend to be honest. I'm not hiding from people how I'm going to vote. I, uh, I didn't in 2016. I certainly feel a moral imperative not to do so in 2020. So, uh, you know, I live a public life, and that has public consequences. And that means that there are lots of people who are ready to write an article uh, critical at any moment. But, uh, you know, I'm going to argue about the long-term trajectory of my convictions and commitments. And uh, I think the best thing I can do in 2020 is say, honestly, out loud, uh, I plan to vote for Donald Trump. Any, any personal uh, pushback stories that you can tell or is it in, in terms of like within the community or is, or is it not you really know, like uh, that? Uh, personally, I will say this. Yeah. Uh, the, the, the hurtful things are when people question your uh, integrity or your, uh, your, your soul for that matter. Right. Uh, and, and that's largely an indictment of American evangelicalism, because uh, American evangelicalism overwhelmingly supported Donald Trump in 2016 and will again in 2020. Mm -hmm. So uh, that's part of it. Mm -hmm. Another frustration to me is how many people say to me, well, I voted for Trump in 2016. I'll vote for President Trump in 2020, but I'm not going to tell anyone about it. Right. And, uh, you know, that's fine. Uh, but uh, uh, I live a public life. And uh, I, uh, I speak to these issues in public, and uh, I, I'm frustrated by people who say, look, I'm in absolute agreement with you, but I'm not going to say that out loud. But when you, when you mention the pushback as it relates to, you know, the, the, your soul and all that, is that coming from uh, the, the Christian community, or is that coming outside the Christian community, or both? Well, uh, both, to some degree, but inside what I might call the Christian community, it's coming from those who identify very much in the, with Christianity in okay. some sense, but uh, they represent more of the political left. Um, so, I mean, I, that's pretty predictable. Yeah. Let me ask you one last question uh, before we, we uh, wrap up here. Um, I've always kind of subscribed to the theory. It's not even a theory. I think it's a biblical principle that God uses imperfect people uh, to accomplish his perfect will. We see it all the time in the Bible. Uh, what do you make from a theological standpoint of what we're seeing with Donald Trump uh, nowadays? Well, I think evangelicals are in trouble. If we ever 
uh, start to trim our moral judgments because of political expediency. And so I would just say to evangelicals, don't say that something's right when you know it's wrong. Um, but uh, also understand that in history, there are no perfect candidates and there is no perfect political party and there is no perfect political decision. As a Christian believing in the doctrine of sin, uh, we are robbed of the illusion of utopian um, optimism. Mm -hmm. And so we have to deal with the realities that we are handed in a decision. And uh, if you believe in the sovereignty of God, you have to believe that God is, uh, as I believe, uh, working in history in ways that we cannot always understand at the time. Mm -hmm. And so my responsibility as a Christian is to do the very best I can based in Christian conviction and uh, trust that that will be seen, first of all, by God, and, uh, and then by my fellow believers as a, uh, a good faith effort to be faithful. That's Very nice. what I pray for. Dr. Moeller, a, a pleasure. Thank you for taking the time on, you know, four hours of teaching, and now, what, 10 minutes of, uh, I don't know, is this vaudeville, maybe, to, compared yeah. to teaching? No, look, uh, I, I love nothing more than preaching and teaching, but uh, I am uh, also always appreciating a, a good conversation. And I enjoyed this conversation with you. Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available on digital. Crowe portrays an ex-homicide detective unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall. Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery to watch Sleeping Dogs, now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery. That's Dr. Albert Moeller here on The Pod's Honest Truth. Hey, some final comments before we leave you on this edition of the podcast. Dr. Albert Moeller is not alone. There are a lot of folks, a lot of evangelicals, who actually did not vote for Trump in 2016 and said, you know what, it's just a bridge too far. We can't get there. Yes, 81% of white conservative evangelicals voted for Trump. But there were quite a few as well who said they just couldn't do it. Albert Moeller was one of them. However, he realized, as he just explained, that Trump has delivered time and time again for evangelicals. In other words, actions speak louder than words. Yes, even Donald Trump's words at times. And so there are going to be evangelicals who did not vote for Trump in 2016, but will now vote for him in 2020 because of the resume of actions that have been accomplished in the name of not just moral, biblical morality, but also in terms of the evangelical political checklist. Having said that, it's got to be tempered now, tempered with the fact that Donald Trump is on Twitter. Uh, Donald Trump uh, has been a, a bit too much law and order and not enough compassion, and that's going to turn some folks off from Donald Trump as well. It's an opportunity, as we talked about at the top of the podcast, for Joe Biden to get in there and possibly win some evangelical votes. 
Bottom line is you've got the molars of the world uh, who are now on board with Trump, but you've also got some drop off from some evangelicals who have just said, look, enough is enough. I can't get there in 2020. That could cancel itself out, leaving Donald Trump roughly right around that 81 percent figure or so that helped him in 2016 and propelled him to the White House. However, it may not be enough in 2020 with all the anti-vitriol aimed at Trump from the left here in this country. We will wait and see. We will discuss that and dissect that on podcasts to come as we move towards the general election in 2020. That's all I've got to say. You know, I was going to come up with some sort of spiffy, cool, uh, spunky line. I've got nothing. All I can say is this is the Pods Honest Truth with David Brody. 